Father, we pray that you may help us to understand your word and apply it, and that you may fill us with your, your spirit of love, and that we may apply the principles of your word into our hearts. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. How are you guys doing? Okay? Are you guys, are you guys tired? No? Was it a good lunch? In Hawaii, when we fall asleep, we call it um, kanak attack. That's what they call it. <laughs> so kanak is like kanaka means like a Hawaiian person. So kanak attack. Or we call it Hawaiian paralysis. Because after we eat, we, uh, we just kind of fall asleep. So what I'm going to do is like, can you stand up? How's that? Can we all stand up? And then um, just kind of go like this. How's that feel? Take deep breaths. And you feel like you're falling asleep, then uh, you can take deep breaths. How's that sound? Sound good? Okay. And then I might just walk next to you and kind of like screaming in your ear. <laughs> Wake you up, right? Has, you feel better now? You guys feel ready? Okay. For the next five hours sermon? You guys ready for that? <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> now be careful how you do this, okay? Like, <laughs> okay, good. I hit the ceiling. Okay, good. Okay. Um, Okay, we prayed. We're looking at John chapter 11, verse 38 in your Bibles. So we're living in a time, and we're focusing on Laodicea today as well, okay, and surrender. But we're living in a time in a world where the external is everything, and the internal is not really that important. And, you know, even in the churches, a lot of times we focus upon, you know, what you should do and what you shouldn't do and external obedience. And I was there. I was one who was always... You know, very strict and very rigid in my in what I need to do and to do this and to that, and I was very, really extreme. But you know what? Because I forced myself, and my motivation was fear, I was very unhappy. And because I was unhappy, I made people around me unhappy. My own family, my my wife, my daughter, and religion was not a happy experience for my home. It was not a happy experience for my friends and everyone around us. And so this is something that I feel like is very important. And many times people, we pretend we're so good people and we're, we're so um, holy people. And, you know, we, we go to church, you know, hey, happy Sabbath, praise the Lord. Good, brother, good to see you. How are you doing? You know, and then as soon as we go home, you know, our true colors come out, right? And people, our children see how we really are. And it's really not what we say, but it's actually how we live our lives that's more important. And so when our children see that, they actually get frustrated, and many times they may even leave the Lord just because how they were raised. And then everyone thinks that we're such nice people, except our own families at home. And then we wonder why our families are falling apart. And we're not talking about our families and homes in the world. We're talking about families and homes in the churches. Is that not true? Right? Amen? You see divorces. And even if family does not get divorced and a divorce, you know that the children are not happy, they rebel, there's problems. And so I believe that God wants to do something. You know, I talked about transparency and being real. And um, I was at a seminar there for a youth conference. And an older man came up to me, and I talked about transparency. And he said, what do you mean about being transparent? You know, nobody today wants to be transparent. I mean, that's just, no one wants to be really real with people. But he said, what do you mean about being transparent? He said, I fake being nice to my wife all the time. We all fake being nice to people. I fake being nice to my wife, and I fake, we all fake it. And I said, just because everyone fakes it, doesn't make it all right. True? Is that a good question, right? So, 
God wants something different, I believe, from his church. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the story of Lazarus when he was dead, okay? So Jesus was called to the family of Lazarus, and he came there. And that, Lazarus had already been dead how many days? So it was already the fourth day, right? Which means that he, you know, he really was dead. In John chapter 11, verse 38, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. John chapter 11, verse 38, notice the Bible says here. It says, Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to a tomb... It was a cave and a what? What the Bible say? And a what? Stone, what? Lay against the tomb. In other words, the stone was coming to, covering this tomb of Lazarus' tomb. In other words, Jesus is the light of the what? World. So Jesus is the light, right? And so the light came to the darkness of the tomb, but in order for the light to come into the tomb, what needed to happen? The stone needed to be what? rolled away right that's what needed to happen and so and when the light hits darkness darkness dispels and disappears because light is more powerful than darkness let me say amen. amen but the miracle of light dispelling darkness can only happen when the stone is first removed right you see the stone represents the many different ways we try to keep things covered up so that we can fool other people and ourselves into believing that we're okay we put on a mask you put on a facade that everything's okay in my walk with God. Everything's okay in my family. Everything's okay in my workplace. Everything's okay with my, my siblings or my children or my, my parents. And our relationships is perfect. And so we have this stone before our dark hearts. And the only reason why the light doesn't come into our dark souls is not because the light does not want to, but because we ourselves have put a covering or a mask so that the light cannot come in. And beloved, we need to take away that stone. What do you say, amen? And that's what I'm talking about, transparency. And I know Laodicea, as I've seen in a lot of churches, we have a hard time being real. We have a hard time taking off this mask. We have a hard time actually being honest and open and transparent with one another. And I believe in, until Laodicea wakes up, shows us our need to be transparent, God cannot really do anything in our church. Notice what it says here. What is the next thing that Jesus did? Notice the Bible says, John chapter 11, verse 39. The Bible said, Jesus said, he said, take away the what? Stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead for days. See, Jesus commanded to take away the stone, and he's about to do a great miracle, but he required humanity to do its part. And what was the part of humanity to do? What did he ask humanity to do? To what? Take away the stone, right? He could do the miracle, but the part that humanity to do, to do was to take away the stone, to take away the mask, to take away the facade of pretending to be something that you're not. You know, it's interesting here in the Bible, it continues on here. God wants us to take away the stone so that the light may come in. He wants us to take off the mask so that the light the love may shine through. He wants us to break down the walls so that the healing may begin. You know, it says here in verse 39, it continues on right at the end. It said here that when he said, take away the stone, the Bible says that Martha protested. Why do you think that she protested against the stone being taken away? Why do you think so? It what? The body's been dead for how many days? Four days, so the body must what? Stink. It was rotten, right? But Lord has been dead for four days. 
And if we take away the stone, then everyone will see his rotting cadaver and smell his decaying body. And this is my brother, this is my family. Now we can relate to Martha, with Martha in that she didn't want to face the decay and despair and what was in that dark grave. In the same way, beloved, many of us don't want to take off the covering from off our lives because we're afraid of how nasty, smelly, and humiliating it will be. So what Laodicea does is Laodicea doesn't want to be transparent. Laodicea doesn't want to show the rotting cadaver on the inside of the heart, a full of dead man's bones like the Pharisees. Laodicea doesn't want to show the corruption of the heart. Laodicea wants to continue wearing that mask to cover because if we take away the mask, you know what? people's going to learn all about our family secrets and dark skeletons in the closet. Are you following me? You know, in Hawaii, it's very disgraceful for you to reveal your family secrets. And you know, that was a barrier for Hawaii. Hawaii was a hard thing, especially doing our school healing reign. It was so hard. But you know, all it took was one person to be transparent at our school. And there's that lady I shared this morning. She actually shared her whole life and how the abuse she went through. And once she did that, everyone started, it was like a chain reaction. Everyone started being transparent. Transparency awakens transparency. What do you say, amen? And you know, the older you get, the harder it is to be transparent. Do you know that? Because every year of pretending and faking to be somebody you're not, it gets more ingrained and ingrained and ingrained in you. And for you to break it after so many years, it is very, very hard. That's why it's much easier to start when you're young, young people. What do you say, amen? Be real with yourself, be real with other people, and be real with God. What do you say, amen? Start now, be transparent. That's what happened here at the graveside of Lazarus. You know, there's a lady named Charlene, and she was a young college student, and she's come from a religiously abusive home, and she needed to forgive her parents, but every time she talked with her counselor, she said, I need to forgive my parents, but I, I know I, I need to forgive him, but I just can't give up this anger and bitterness I have toward them. I just, this is who I am. My whole identity was to be angry and bitter at them my whole life, and I just can't give it up. After three different sessions, Charlene never came back to the counseling sessions with her pastor. 20 years later, this pastor was preaching in another state, and as he was preaching the sermon, after the sermon, this lady came up, and she said, it was Charlene, and said, Pastor, do you remember me? And said, yes, I did. And after a little silence, and tears streaming down her cheeks, she said, Pastor, after two divorces and a nervous breakdown, I realized I should have really given it up. Beloved, unless we become real and honest with ourselves, unless we actually face our lives, unless we face the darkness in our past, you know, God can't really do anything. His hands are tied. It's not that God can't do the miracle. God can. They're one big step away from the greatest miracle that ever ex could exist. And all that one step they had to do was to roll away the stone from the cave. And once that happened, the light of Jesus could penetrate and the miracle could happen. Beloved, many of us here are maybe only one step away. That's all it is. To be honest with yourself and to be honest with God. But unfortunately, maybe that one step of being honest and transparent may be the greatest step of your whole life. You know, in 
we just had a weekend meeting in Hawaii in Waianae on a different island from where I'm at. And we had a weekend meeting at this church, and this one lady came up afterwards and she said, I live a lie. My whole life is a big lie. The way I presented myself to my husband, that's not even who I am. And he's believed this lie the whole time. In fact, what I'm going to do right now, after this class, I'm going to call my husband and tell him who I am, who I really am. Who are you really? I want you to think about that. Who are you really? Are you living a lie? Are you pretending to be something you're not? Do your children see a different person at church? Do they see at home? I mean, who are you really? Right? Is that all these, these good questions? I think it's a question we need to ask ourselves as Larry say, and I count myself as one of those people too. And this is really, this is my testimony. Who am I really? Am I the nice pastor there on Sabbath morning and with the church members and visitations in the hospital? Am I the same person that I am with my wife and my daughter at home? Is that a good question, you think, to ask ourselves? Who are we really? Am I the same person with my, my parents, my brothers, my sisters? What happened next? John 11, verse 41 to 43. The Bible says here, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Verse 43. Now when he had said these things, he cried unto a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. What do you say? Amen. And when he called Lazarus come forth, and everyone's wondering what's going to happen. But the stone, they're transparent, and they're wondering if it really God was going to do that miracle or not. And then what happened here in verse 44? The Bible says, And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him what? Go, right? So in other words, he was tied up. Now my question is, as Lazarus was prepared for the funeral service and the graveside service, right? He was wrapped up. So who do you think wrapped up Lazarus? Mary Martha, which was his sisters, right? Which is his family, right? So his family. In other words, even though he was brought back to life, his family still tied him up and hindered him his movement. And beloved, we can experience the same thing, that even though we have experienced miracles in our lives, or even our family and friends have experienced miracles in life, we can still bind them up and hinder them by how our attitude is toward them. How many of you had this experience? I had a friend who knew me before I was converted, and she knew me after I was converted. And you know, it was 11 years later, I was passing this one church, she became the principal of the same church. How's that one? And she said to me, one day we were talking at a classroom, and she said to me, Pastor, you know what? I need to confess something to you. I said, what? She said, 12 years ago, when you first got converted, I said to myself, this is only a phase. He's going to go back right to what he used to be. I give her six months, one year. But to come to me 12 years later, in other words, we can hinder people by our actions toward them and what we say. What do you say, huh? Amen? We need to set them free from the grave clothes of their past. We need to set them free from the negative expectations that we give to people. 
We need to set them free from the gossip of their sins. Now let's go to Bible prophecy. Turn to Revelation chapter 13 in your Bible. Revelation chapter 13. I want you to see this point of the last days, what's happening. You know, how many believe we're in the last days? What do you say? Amen? How many are aware of what's happening here in America in these last days? Do you see how Bible prophecy is going so quickly? Okay, now I want you to see what's happening. This is a prophecy of the United States of America and Revelation 13, verse 11, in the light of transparency. So let's turn to Revelation chapter 13, verse 11 in your Bibles. And let's just see what are the characteristics of the second beast of Revelation 13. Notice the Bible says here. Then I saw another beast. Now, beast represents what in the Bible? Okay, kingdom, okay, a nation, okay? It's talking about a nation. And it says, coming up out of the earth. Now, the earth is the opposite of what in the Bible? As a, the sea, right? And the sea in the Bible prophecy represents what? Okay, many people. So the opposite of sea represents what? Very few relatively uninhabited area, okay? So as a nation, with, when they discovered this nation, it was a relatively uninhabited area, right? And then it says here, and he had two horns, like a what? Lamb. Now, what does a lamb represent in the Bible? Who is the lamb in the Bible? Jesus, okay? So it looks like a lamb on the outside, and lamb is Jesus or Christ. So looks like a Christian nation. Are you following me, right? But it speaks like a what? Dragon. Now, the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what one says reveals what? What's really what's in one's heart. Are you following me, right? Amen? So if it speaks like a dragon, it means that it must have the what? Heart of a what? Dragon. So it has the heart of a dragon. So it looks like a Christian nation, but on the inside, it has the heart of a dragon. Are you following me, right? So a dragon is a good or bad? Okay, bad, right? So the Bible prophecy in the last days is prophesied of a nation that looks like Christian on the outside, but it's bad on the inside, right? But what is a nation made up of? People. You and me. So the Bible is prophesying the last days of the, the second beast of Revelation 13. It's really talking about the people in the United States of America will be prophesied as a people who will pretend to be good as a Christian on the outside or a Christian values on the outside, but on the inside, they will be corrupt as a dragon. Are you following me? So what the nation has to do is because this nation is prophesied to be corrupt as a dragon on the inside, it has to pretend to be like a lamb on the outside. You and I were prophesied to be fake people in the last days. If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? amen. And I know you're saying, well, that's prophesying for the whole nation. But let's look at it. We're the church. But let's go to the church then. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3, refers to Laodicea, okay? Now I'm going somewhere with this because I want us to realize that we as a nation in the United States are really based upon being fake in this nation. If I just gave you a solution, you'd be like, big deal. 
But if I can show you to Bible prophecy that we were prophesied to be fake, people who wear masks, pretend to be something we're not, we max out our credit cards to buy things that we can't afford just so we can present a persona about ourselves that we actually have these things which we can't, really can't afford. We want to look a certain way, we want to look classic and everything on the outside, but the inside of the heart is empty, it's lonely, it's void of love. And that's what God wants to experience. Revelation chapter 3 in your Bibles, chapter 3, verse 17. The Bible says this. The Bible says, Because you say, I am one, rich, and have become rich increased with goods, and have need of what? Nothing. Okay? So we believe that we're rich. We increase the goods. We don't need anything. But Jesus says to us, but don't you know that really on the inside, on the outside you think you're good, you don't need anything, all right? But on the inside, don't you know that really your heart is wretched, miserable, poor, lying, and what? And naked. In other words, on the outside you think that you're such a good person. You don't need anything in this world because everything looks so good. In other words, you're so used to pretending to be something you're not. You're so used to wearing a mask. You're so used to having a, a fake face of, in front of everyone else that you actually believe it. That's Laodicea's problem. When really on the inside, Laodicea, you are corrupt. You're wicked. You're evil. You need a change of heart. But the problem with Laodicea is this. Laodicea is so deceived thinking that they're great and they're good. Why would you ever need a God when you already think you're good? You're so good because you go to church every week. You're so good because you keep the true Sabbath day holy. You're so good, you keep the health message. You're so good because you return your tithe and offering. You're so rich and increased the goods of Laodicea. You don't need anything, including Jesus. Beloved, before we really want Jesus, we need to realize how wicked our hearts is. What do you say? Amen? And we're so used to faking it, we believe, like the Bible says, they believe the lie. They live the lie so long. I know people who live the lie for so long they believe the lie. And beloved, there could be people in this room right now who lived the lie for so many years that you believe it. You believe this fake person you're presenting before people. But it's not really who you are. And God wants to come to you and bring healing. I want that healing. How about you? What do you say? Amen? You know, a church, what is a church made of? People. So when the Bible is prophesying not only about the nation, but also as the church as people, it is really referring to you and I as members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. What do you say? Amen? Is that not true? And that's what God's talking to my heart and your heart here this afternoon. You know, it's interesting. I was at this church in Hawaii and giving an appeal, and two people came up for appeals and for healing, and I talked with them. And the interesting thing, two of these people that came forward were actually both PKs. How many know what PKs are? Okay, Pastor Kid. How many here actually are PKs? Let me see hand out there. Oh, wow. Okay, my daughter is PK twice. <laughs> she says, not twice, but she says, you know, our family has PK twice. She said, I'm a PK, Pastor's Kid, and you're PK because you're Pastor Keala. 
<laughs> so two people came up for his appeal, and one person said, as I talked to him, said, can you please pay for me, Pastor? And you know he's a PK. He wants to have a real experience in being a Christian and not being fake as a Christian anymore. How many of you had that experience? You don't have to raise your hand, but think about that. Well, how many of you know people who are like that? They're faking the Christian experience. It's not real. God doesn't want a fake experience. He wants you to be real. Even where you're at a lower level, God accepts you where you're at. What do you say? Amen? And he changes you where you're at. And then the second person came forward, and you know, him and his wife, they just sang, he was a PK too, he just sang the most beautiful, special music. It was actually the prayer, you know. So this is very beautiful. And then he said to me, Pastor, I need healing. Because he put his head down and said, I verbally abuse my wife all the time. You know, we can look so good, I'm telling you. We can put up a good show. And to me, I, I saw that, I'm like, man, these guys, they're just, that's the most beautiful couples, special music, and it's the love. I mean, it's, you just think that, right? Don't you think that? You see that kind of thing? You know, when you go to church all the time, you talk to people, and we see each other, and we have put on our best foot forward. Like, who wants to put their worst foot forward? Right? Whenever we meet new people, we want to put a best foot forward. We want to present ourselves in a likable way. No one wants to present ourselves in a bad way, right? So we think that, and we see somebody doing a special music, or even a speaker speaking, and we go, wow, everything's so perfect, right? We're thinking that, but if you only could see a glimpse, if I could just take you with me, if you could only just see a little glimpse of what I've seen, I'm telling you, your eyes would be open. You would see that Laodicea is not what you think it is. God comes down to us and says, I want to spit you out of my mouth because you think you're so great. But beloved, we all need Jesus. What do you say, amen? I need Jesus. Our hearts are wicked. Desperately wicked above all things. Who can know our hearts? We think we're so good. Okay, you can turn me to in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 in your Bibles. What did Jesus do on the cross? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The Bible says, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, what's that word? Despising the shame. I want you to notice that on the cross, Jesus endured it, but he also despised the shame of the cross. You know on the cross, before they were painting these little small loincloths across Jesus, you've seen a picture of a little small piece of cloth covering his loin, right? You know, before, when they used to crucify people, it was actually done naked on the cross. And so, after a while, the artists, you know, before they used to draw that way, but actually, they covered a piece of loincloth just out of respect for the Son of God, you know, to cover it up. The horrible shame of being naked on the cross. You know, that horrible shame of being naked on the cross, Jesus disregarded that shame for you and me on the cross. Now, if someone was to take you, strip you of all your clothes, right? Verbally insult you about your nakedness and then tie you up to a post, tie you up 
and put you out in public, out on the street out there, for everyone to see your nakedness and make fun of you in all your body parts in front of everyone, what would that be called? Would that person go to jail? Yeah, yeah. Taking you by force, right? You start stripping all your clothes off, making fun of you against your will. That would be called sexual abuse. And Jesus understands what it is to be shamed and to experience that sexual abuse on the cross of Calvary for you and me. What a wonderful God. What do you say? Amen? He was tempted in all points. He understands. He can relate to you. Because he understands, he can help you. He understands the shameful experience on the cross. And there's no shameful thing you have done or no shameful thing you have experienced in your life that Jesus does not understand. What do you say? Amen? Have you been physically abused? Jesus understands. Have you been emotionally abused? Jesus understands. Have you been verbally abused? Jesus understands. Have you been sexually abused? Jesus understands. You know, Corrie ten Boom, how many of you guys know who Corrie ten Boom was? They asked her, what was the worst thing that happened? She was in a German concentration camp. They said, what is the worst thing that could happen to you that happened to you in a German concentration camp? And you, know, you would think that it was all the rapes that happened, the murders, you know, her own sister died, right? Is that right? Her sister died. And so to see that pain, and you know what her answer was? She said, having to be naked in front of all those soldiers jeering at you was the worst experience. Jesus understands. Amen? Have you been sexually abused? Jesus understands. What do you say? Amen? You know, there's a true story of a study they did. And what they did was they want to see how well the interviewee uh, connected with the audience. So what they did was they, they told him, when you're interviewed, we want you to answer all the questions rightly and do everything perfectly. And you want to wait how well the audience connects with you. So they interviewed him. He did everything right. He was actually perfectly. He addressed them very perfectly, very crisp. And then he actually answered all the questions perfectly. And the audience was there, and they liked all the answers. And then they rated him how well they connected with that person being interviewed. And they found that the way that it was connected to that person being interviewed the audience to that person being interviewed was very low. They felt they couldn't connect. And then they brought him out again, and they asked him, okay, I want you to make a mess of everything. So he started answering all the questions wrong. He had his coffee. He spilled it all over himself. He said, oh, man, I'm such a klutz. And everybody laughing and watching all this. And then they rated how well the audience connected with this guy, and they found that he connected very well with the audience. Realized that he was just like one of them. And beloved, Jesus is just like you. What do you say? Amen? He was tempted in all points. He understands. He can help you go through whatever you're going through. Whatever pain of abuse you've experienced, He can help you in your life. What a wonderful God we serve. What do you say, huh? Amen? Amen. See, the first step in healing is to take off our mask. Then, this will then allow God's light to search the hidden and hurting errors of our own hearts. And we finally discover the errors where we need healing. God will come in and heal us of our broken past. We need to be transparent in our lives. We need to let people see our brokenness. We wear these armors like we're some prince charming in shining armor, right? Save the world, some superhero, right? Let them see. 
Let people see the cracks in your armor so that the light may shine through. What do you say? Amen? Rosie was a patient in the ICU, and a pastor came to visit her, and he said, Hey, Rosie, I heard you needed prayer. What do you want me to pray for? And he said, Pastor, I've been so bad. I haven't been to church in 25 years, and I haven't even prayed. I have no relationship with God, and God would never listen to me. He said, well, tell me your story. And so Rosie told the pastor the story and said, you know, when I was young and I was a teenager, my, my mom had passed away. And we were so hurt, and my brother was so hurt, after the day after the memorial service, we went out and we got roaring drunk. And we ended up sleeping together. I said, that was the end of my relationship with God. I plummeted, left the church, And I don't think God will ever forgive me for what I did. And then the minister shared 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. For God is reconciling the world to himself on the cross, not counting their sins against them. What did he say? Amen? And she believed it. That He said, if you believe in the Son of Christ, then everything between you and God is all right. And she said, Pastor, I'm going to try and believe. The pastor left, came back the next morning. As he came into the room and he turned and walked in the room, he realized that Rosie's bed was empty. He turned to the nurse and the nurse said, Pastor, Rosie died in her sleep last night. But she had a message for you. He said, tell that pastor, I did believe and everything between me and God was all right. Amen? And beloved, if we're honest with God, God can do miracles in your life and He can forgive you. No matter what sins you've done, no matter what sins have been done against you, those sins can be forgiven if you believe. I believe that. How about you? What do you say? Amen? And He can heal you. He can bring restoration to your family. He can heal your home. He can use you. If you come from a broken home, God can use you to bring healing to that home. He can bring healing to your parents who are divorced. He can bring healing to your brothers and sisters who no longer talk to one another. He can bring healing to your children who no longer want to call home or visit home. He can do that. We're living in a broken society. And God needs to bring healing to our church first. Forget about the world. We're trying to save the world and bring it to our church, and they're seeing dysfunctional, broken marriages and relationships. We need to make sure that we have something to give the world. What is it, Amen. And we cannot give that which we do not possess. If we don't have something in our, to offer them, what are we going to offer them? Intellectual knowledge? We need to offer them a life that is different from what they're experiencing. Not the same old brokenness. In fact, maybe their home life is better than your own home life. What are you going to give these people? Another broken marriage? Another divorced family? Another family with children not talking. You know, the greatest prayer I always hear when I go to different churches among parents, you know, the greatest prayer request they always give to me, Pastor, please pray for my children. They no longer go to church. And I think following up with that would be, Pastor, my children want nothing to do with me. Please pray for them and me as well. Why? How can that be in God's chosen remnant church? Remnant church by name only? 
or are we living really what remnant people should be looking like? Are you following me? That's what God wants for his people. Not people faking and pretending and living the life so much that they're thinking and pretending to be good so much they actually believe that their broken home is actually a good home. They actually believe that the divorce wasn't really that bad. But God wants to do something in my life, in your life. And he wants to do something here this weekend with the meetings and the speakers that you're hearing. He wants full surrender from you. But only because you love him. I want to love him with all of my heart. What do you say, amen? Then look to Jesus and see how much he loves you because love awakens love. In other words, we can't even love God. What do you say, amen? Did you know that? If you want to love God, you cannot force yourself to love God. The only way you can love God is we love him because what? He first loved us. In other words, we only can love God when we first see and experience how much God loves us first. And that love that God has toward us, and when it says love, that love awakens love in our hearts toward God. I want that. How about you? Amen? So we can't even do that. We can't even love God. All we can do is see. Behold the Lamb. See the Lamb, the cross, the love of God on the cross. And that awakens love in your heart for Him. I want that love in my heart. You know, I'm, I counsel this, this young girl, 25 years old. I'm going to share what she wrote to me on the email. She said this. And I want you to see the, the connection here with how one's past affects the present. And that's what we deal with the healing rain. Okay, now follow me on. She says this. I'm 25 years old. My parents divorced when I was 11 years old. I have never had a relationship with my father as he was never involved in my life. He never did provide anything for me. Neither did he care about me and what I was doing. He would also lie to me. I grew up never trusting men, avoiding them and being very uncomfortable in their presence. Are you seeing the connection here? That her past, and there's another quote from Ellen White, I'm going to be sharing it tomorrow, about our past relationship, especially with our parents, affects our present relationships in our marriages, boyfriend, girlfriend, our children, our family, our friends. I started avoiding them being very uncomfortable in their presence. I started dating men at 18 because I was too afraid to date them before that time. The problem is that every time I meet someone, it never lasts more than three months. I believe my past is affecting the way I behave with men I'm interested in because obviously I can't keep a man. I normally act normal around men, but it's when I start liking someone that I start to act, behave differently. Sometimes I would just completely ignore that person because I don't want that person to think that I'm not interested in him. I've also had a hard time expressing my emotions to a man I like as I don't show much. I really want healing. I don't want my past to continue to affect my future. Are you following me? That our past and how we've been raised affects our present. And I ask the questions. I ask her, what is her trust level in God? And what's between 1 and 10? And what's your trust level in men? And she says this, I know that God is good and all he does is good for me. I find myself not believing sometimes. You're making me think, Pastor. Like I said, what do you relate? How do you rate yourself? She said, well, I guess I have to rate my trust in God to be a 3 out of 10. Wow, I'm shocked. I thought it was higher. And I'm relating this because there's a there's Bible text that says, every brother says he loves God but hates his brother, he is a what? 
liar, right? So I was saying, how can you say you hate a person like your father and you don't trust him, and yet you can say you love God? Right? Are you following me? So there must be a, something deep inside that's revealing to you that there's something in you that maybe your relation with God is not really what it, you think it really is. So that kind of shook her a little bit. Said in regards to my trust in people, I would rate my trust in people at a two out of ten. That's terrible. I never examined myself in that way. Wow. I believe that deep down I haven't forgiven my father for abandoning me. I feel nothing for my father. Last year I saw him in a subway accidentally, and she said, We talked for about five minutes, and I felt like I was talking to a stranger. He doesn't know me, I don't know him. How sad. We only live about 25 minutes away. So I guess I do feel hurt and resentment towards him. And because I have suppressed those feelings, I believe I don't feel anything. As I'm writing these words, tears are coming out of my eyes. The hurt is obviously there because I never dealt with it. I've been hiding it. I would say that I have anger toward him. I've been praying for love for my earthly father because I don't. I realize I don't love him. And that's what you know, I realized in a school that we have. There are people who told me they came to the school to learn how to help people who are hurting, those who have been abused. That's what they came for. And you know that these people, every single person has come to our school, they just want to learn to help others. Every single person has said, I came to learn how to help other people, but I realized I came really for God to help me. Because I think a lot of times, Laodicea suppresses the past, their pain, they're hurt, and they don't even realize it. We're living a lie like the Bible says we are. And God has to come and shatter down those lies. I came from a home where my dad was an alcoholic, and my mom told me a story where my dad came in the home, he was drunk again, he pulled a shotgun out, he's shooting bullets through the roof of the house. You know, sometimes I was so embarrassed because my dad was like, where's dad, you know? And he always get into car accidents. And in the front of our house, we had a, like a little ditch that water ran through. And um, you know, one day, where's dad? And we opened up the blinds and we were so embarrassed. And neighbors were like walking the dog and there's my dad in the car and the car is inside of the ditch, okay? the deep ditch. And he's sitting there and he's sleeping on the wheel like this so nicely. <laughs> And all the neighbors is watching my, my dad. It was like so embarrassing, right? And so he got into a lot of car accidents and a lot of things happened out here. And I was like, wow, this is a bad experience. So anyway, me and my dad, we never really get along. And so he, my mom showed a story where he was, in, he was drinking a lot. He got in, my brother had a sports car in high school. And he was driving it real fast. And he got into a car accident. He smashed the car. And he wrapped the car around a telephone pole. And he flew out and he got pinned under the car and he was bleeding profusely all over the place. And the miracle about it is that it was right across the street from the hospital, Hilo Hospital. Isn't that a miracle? Should have died. <laughs> so they took him and my mom said when he came down to the hospital, my dad was actually upside down because they wanted to make sure that the blood was enough oxygen for the brain so they could not be brain dead. And he said those prayers, Lord, Changed my life. You know, my dad was a smoker, smoked several packs a day, 
heavy. He paid for it later, by the way. And um, he gave himself an quick cold turkey drinking and smoking. Alcoholic. And, you know, it passed down to generations. My grandfather, he was an alcoholic. He died at the age of 49 from alcohol abuse. My dad was an alcoholic. And, you know, I had traits too as a young. I had drank hards at the age of 11. And I was drinking. You know, the sins are passed down to the third and fourth generations, right? They're told that genetically you're nine times more likely to be an alcoholic because your parents were alcoholic. And so when high school came, you know, he, had, he started to change his life slowly, but before he had done this, this was actually, he got converted. He got baptized at, when I was a senior in high school. He got baptized. And, um, but before that, I hated my dad. I remember purposely because I was angry at my dad. I used to purposely do things and rebel on purpose because I was so angry at him. Does anyone understand what I'm talking about here? To get back, right? So I used to do all kinds of things. You know, I'll talk back to the start of my dad. So my dad, I was shooting the gun right in the house, right? That's where I was at. Okay, so I was shooting the gun in his house. My mom called the police, and the police came over. And of course, you know, he's playing all nice and everything's all good. And then the police left the home. My dad got the gun again. My mom locked the door inside of the house. And he ran and he broke the door down and came at the mom and came right before her. And then the police came and jumped him at the same time. Of course, the police are much more smarter than we think they are, right? <laughs> they're waiting right outside. Of course, when you have an alcoholic person, they're, they're pretty smart. So they actually, they tackled him and they took him to prison. They took him to jail. Prison to jail. So that's the lifestyle we grew up. I remember my sister just growing up and so much physical violence and abuse, right, in the home of my, my home that grew up. I remember my, one time, I was such a young kid, my oldest sister, I just remember blood just running down her face because she was beaten up. And that's the family we came from, this abusive family. And then I remember the relationships I had in my life and God started bringing healing between my, my dad and myself and just healing my whole relationship. And then my relationship I had with these, because I was living a, such a crazy lifestyle, I had all these different relationships with these different girls, and they cheat on me, I cheat on them. It was such a horrible environment. And so now I'm entering into this relationship with my marriage, right? You know, we think that something about, you know, once saved, always saved. All we have to do is, is accept Jesus Christ, and then we're baptized and everything's good. Whatever happened to the word sanctification? Can I hear a big amen? Amen? God's going to take us, and sanctification, Ellen White says, is a work of a what? Lifetime. So whatever happened to the point that God will come into your heart after you're converted and show you a point, dark spot in your heart that needs to be healed and gain victory over. Can I have a big amen? Amen? And God's going to go to another dark room and open it up and let the light shine in. And another dark room and let the light shine in. To think, oh, I don't need healing. What do you mean? We all need healing, especially we're hoping for the last days that the character of Christ will be perfectly reproduced in his people. Can I have a big amen? Amen? That's what we're hoping for. And so God wants to sanctify us the right way, from the inside out, not from the outside in. Can I hear amen? Amen? And so the cross awakens us to be transparent. People ask me, what does transparency look like? I think of the Bible text in Genesis that says that when Adam and Eve were in a garden and the Bible says they were naked and unashamed. You know, when you can be naked 
fully transparent and real with someone else, especially your spouse, and be unashamed. That is true intimacy. I want to have us. What do you say? Amen? Transparency in the home. And the power of healing rain, I believe, is this, you know, this school that we have is actually is the environment. It's a safe place. God has a work for my heart, but he has a work also for your heart as well. And he wants you to bring healing in our lives. I want that. How about you? Amen? So, what we're going to do is, you know, we have a few minutes left, so this is what we're going to do. Okay, all we're going to do is there's a handout that was handed out to you, and it's called Take Away the Show. Not everyone needs it, so I'm going to need your help. Okay, now I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask if you can get into like a little small group, okay, and um, answer this question. And you don't have to say anything. If you just want to listen, you can do that. But get in a group of maybe like six five to seven people and maybe you want to get with a group of your friends or young people you can get with a group of your young people and see if you can solve this problem right here what do you think and then what we're going to do is we're going to have maybe one person from each group just come up and just kind of share um, this is actually very good it's going to help you to go out and help people who need help in healing how's that sound okay if you wanted to stay with your friends you can do that but groups of five to seven how's that and then after that we're going to come back and share and then we take a little break, and then we're going to actually, um, the next session we have is called Hiding from Intimacy. Hiding from Intimacy. Okay, so can we break into groups here? And we're just going to have like maybe five minutes. Go in a group. Thank you. Yeah, just go in groups here. I kind of talk this, and let me read it. It says, Jacob is one of your good friends from church who just recently shared with you that he lives a lie. He said that he doesn't want anyone to know who he really is because then no one would like him. He shared with you that he regularly drinks, smokes, goes clubbing, and sleeps around. But at the same time, he pretends to be a saint and is also very active at church. He does it because he loves the praise of being so good and active for the Lord. He asks you for advice. What do you do? This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.